Welcome to Conservation Conversations, the podcast where we discuss emerging technologies, global trends, and the future of biodiversity conservation with some of the world's leading experts. I'm your host, Sean O'Brien, President and CEO of NatureServe, where we've been working for 50 years to protect endangered species and ecosystems. Before I introduce you to our first guest, let me tell you a little bit more about who we are and why we started this podcast. NatureServe is a global leader in the use of science, data, and technology for conserving biodiversity and preventing extinction. With this podcast, we want to introduce our audience to some of today's key players in conservation and share the amazing work being done around the globe to protect our planet's rich biodiversity. Welcome to Conservation Conversations. I'm your host, Sean O'Brien, the president and CEO of NatureServe. And I am here today with Lucas Joppa, the Chief Environmental Officer at Microsoft. Lucas has a PhD in ecology from Duke University, served in the Peace Corps in Malawi, and then sort of deviated from what you might think was a traditional pathway for someone with a PhD and went off and worked for a tech firm. And I actually wanted to start with that, Lucas, because one of the things that I also did was not follow a traditional path for somebody with a PhD in ecology. So I wanted to hear a little bit about your story. Yeah, well, thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting me to the conversation. Um, you know, I really, I followed that traditional academic path. I did, I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in the wildlife ecology department and, you know, kind of the, the, the home teaching grounds of Aldo Leopold and was very much, you know, interested in field work and field-based conservation kind of, you know, muddy boots sort of, sort of science. Had the chance right. to, had the chance to do that in the Peace Corps. Um, got to my PhD and thought I was going to do that again. I, I didn't know it at the time, or I didn't necessarily feel it at the time, but I had the good fortune to have a mentor uh, and a PhD advisor, uh, Dr. Stuart Pym at Duke, who basically said, no, you're not doing field work. You've done enough field work in your life. Uh, you need to sit down and learn the skills that you didn't learn when you were out in the field. You need to learn computer science, computer programming, statistics, um, and more. So that's what I did. I actually never did any field work in my PhD, and I, I kind of married the applied conservation and the theoretical ecology uh, worlds. And that's what really interested me in moving into the tech sector, because I saw that to answer a lot of the big questions that we have in conservation, we need to figure out a way to scale our science to do that. And computing is obviously one aspect of, of achieving that scale. Right, it sounds like uh, Stuart Pym was key to your career path. And uh, one of the things that's interesting is last, uh, last time I talked with Tom Lovejoy, and he has a story about a teacher who essentially directed him and caused him to follow a certain path. And I always think that's so interesting how often that is true especially today when we're, we're dealing with uh, remote, so much remote teaching. Well, I have, a, I have a whole series of them, starting with a high school chemistry teacher to, you know, actually the reason I went into conservation was a class called uh, On the Extinction of Species at Wisconsin-Madison that was taught by Stan Temple, one of the early presidents of the Society for Conservation Biology and kind of a luminary in the field. And I just sat there in that class as he was telling me about, you know, the story about bringing the Mauritius parakeet back from the brink and California condor and all these just kind of incredible conservation success stories packed in between all these incredible failures. And right. I was just 
I, I just left that room that day and was like, this is what I want to do. And I, and I never turned back. And as I said, I've had the, the opportunity to work with just incredible folks, including Tom, who's just a, a, an, an amazing individual. Absolutely. Uh, it's so interesting to hear you talking about field work, too. Um, I did a lot of field work in graduate school. Um, but then when I started my postdoc at Princeton, that sort of went away and I started getting involved in more of the policy side of the conservation field. And so similar to you, uh, Steve Hubble was my professor at Princeton. And uh, I said to him one day, I said, I'm, I'm not going to do the traditional academic track. And he said, great, we need more people with science backgrounds on other aspects of this. We need people working in politics and policy. We need people like you working in technology who understand the way science works and the way conservation works. And I feel incredibly fortunate that I had somebody like that in my background as well. Yeah, and it, it is so rare. I think it's still today, you walk onto university campuses and so much of that, that rhetoric is just that. It's, it's lip service really to, to the true idea of getting out there and applying scientific understanding into sectors that desperately need it. And it's something that I've tried to take with me in, in my mentorship uh, capacity, where I always say basically to folks that, that I'm working with exactly what was said to me by, by Stuart, which is, I don't care what you want to go and do. I, all I care about is that you want to go and do it and that you wanna be the best at it and if I believe that, then I will give you all of my resources and all of my knowledge to help you achieve that. And if you do choose um, a particular path, I will hold you accountable to what needs to be done, right? And right. I will be honest with you if I don't think that you're meeting that mark. And I think those conversations are a little too, too rare uh, as right. scientists start looking at what they want to do. Well, so that's interesting. I'm sure I suspect you're still in touch with Stuart and uh, he's probably pretty happy with the impact that you're able to have at Microsoft. And so I wanted to sort of transition to you basically went from graduate school to working at Microsoft where you've been more or less since that, is that right? Yep. Yeah. Never, never had a, never had a real job. <laughs> Uh, but you've done really wonderful things at Microsoft, uh, the AI for Earth program and the other work that's being done, you know, that everyone's hearing about with Microsoft, with um, carbon and other issues. But uh, one of the ones that's sort of near and dear to our heart at NatureSurf is the work you're doing with the actual physical footprint of Microsoft. And tell me a little bit about that, because we don't think of Microsoft's footprint physically that often, but it's actually significant, isn't it? Well, it's important to us. I mean, you know, just to put this in context for our broader sustainability mission, we look at carbon, water, waste and ecosystems and biodiversity. And just having that last bit as a formal part of a tech sector, tech companies, environmental sustainability mission, I think is a little unique. It maybe is a little bit of bias uh, on, on my side, I think. Um, so hopefully if there's one good thing I brought into the world, it's, it's the inclusion of that. Well, well, being the CEO there, you're, you're allowed to do that, right? Yeah, well, the real CEO may, may disagree. But, um, but 
you know, we've, we've made progress as, as you mentioned, you know, shooting to be a carbon negative company by 2030. We just announced an ambition to be a zero waste company by 2030. But the ecosystems one was a really interesting one, a uh, commitment for us to think about setting because we do have a physical presence on, on land all over the world. We're a multinational company. So, but we're not huge, right? We, we, um, we're a, a, some smallish fraction of Manhattan, basically, if you look at all of our, you know, real estate holdings. So we said, well, we really need to, you know, ensure that we're taking care of land at least as much as we are, we are using. And so we committed uh, back in April in advance of Earth Day to protecting as much land as we use uh, moving forward and, and working with with organizations around the world to, to do that. We also said that that might not be, you know, it's fantastic that we're doing that. There's also an important role that our software and our technology can play. And so we talked about building this, this planetary computer, uh, kind of a platform to bring together data and, and uh, modeling and large scale computing infrastructure to fundamentally change the way that we monitor model and, and as you guys know so well, manage Earth's critically uh, endangered uh, ecosystems. And, and the, the framing for that, uh, that I'll say just before I stop here, is that really motivated me was I was doing my PhD-ish, you know, around the time of the Millennia Ecosystem Assessment. And that was really inspirational for me. Uh, academically, if we, to see kind of where academics meets meets application, and then I started my postdoc uh, at Microsoft Research right around when the uh, the IPBS Global Ecosystem Assessment was starting up, and I was actually a chapter author on that for a while, but I stepped back because I just felt like where where we were going to go is where we did end up going. 15 year gap between global ecosystem assessments, 15 years, you know, 1700 pages of, of assessment for over 15 years. But, and that's fantastic. I'm not taking anything away from, from the monumental achievement that both of those assessments were, but I want to see those assessments every six months. I want to see them every year. I want to see them at the local level, the regional level and the national level. We're not going to do it through that type of a process. We need technology. It's one of the things that's always drawn me to nature service. I think you see that, right? And, mm -hmm. and you work hard to, to move in that direction. Yeah, that's a really great point that these, you know, the classic huge reports are so massive that they're hard to digest and then getting the governments to do anything about them and why it's so important that individual corporations like Microsoft take some of this upon themselves. But also, I think, uh, you know, biased, uh, that it's important that organizations like NatureServe are out there providing this information and doing some of this management. And I like to think, you know, as you know, we're a, a grant recipient from the AI for Earth program and are using artificial intelligence to help us figure out where species might be able to live and be able to take that into the future under climate change uh, scenarios. And I'm just interested in your perspective on how like what we're doing with data on species and ecosystems will fit into this planetary computer because it's not, it's not Microsoft's planetary computer. 
you're a facilitator, as I understand it, and lots of organizations like NatureServe are going to plug in. And I'm, I'm a little curious, like how that's going to turn into um, the action plan that you clearly desire from something like this. Yeah. Well, I think that there's a few things, and and I would just just on the high level AI kind of side. You know, one of my one of my proudest uh, moments in, in Microsoft was was um, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to, to get on the main stage at the Esri user conference and talk about artificial intelligence um, and, and AI for Earth. That wasn't my proudest moment, though, or one of my proudest moments. It was actually um, a year later, I can't remember if it was one or two years later, actually, the NatureSurf was, was on that stage and I was in the audience. Mm -hmm. And watching you, you know, your folks present actual, you know, artificial intelligence applied to species data to forecast where, you know, species distributions to inform land plant conservation planning in partnership with, with Esri and, and with AI for Earth, sure, but seeing an organization like yours do all of that work at a national scale was just incredible to see like, you know, I, I'd been up on that stage just kind of talking, <laughs> um, you know, a few years before talking about the potential. Uh, and then to see, you know, nature show the, the realization of that was, was so cool to see. And that's the sort of thing that we, those, those sorts of, of, of products, if you want to call them that, uh, like the map of biodiversity importance that, that you guys have been putting together. Those are the sorts of things that we want people to be able to access on, you know, a planetary computer platform. Um, we want, it's also a platform that we want people to be able to build those sorts of products right. on top. And so it's really about trying to, to close this, this uh, contributor con consumer gap. I think that that's so important and make that as cheap and as, and as fast as, as possible or as easy to do as, as possible. Right. I think it's so exciting, like what an organization like NatureServe is able to do with access to the computing power that is available through AI for Earth and what you're making available to other grantees. Um, when I think back to the kind of analyses that I was doing in graduate school and the sizes of the databases that I was working with compared to what we can do now with open source data, with citizen science data, and you know the data that our scientists collect out in the field, and integrating and pulling all of that together into a package that talks about the planet and what we're doing globally. Uh, I'm just so excited for the future. Uh, I'm almost jealous of people who are going into graduate school now who can be studying AI and you know computer science with a strong ecology background? Yeah, if they do. I think that's, you know, that's the, again, that's the opportunity. But I think if you go and you see uh, what people are, are really doing, it's still a small fraction of students that are seeing that opportunity and going and pursuing it. And I think outside of the pure science, which is, which is beautiful, and, and I, uh, I would never advocate that people moving away from, I think those folks who are really strongly joining up uh, the studies in computer science and machine learning is with, with environmental science and ecology and conservation. That's where we're going to see some of the most interesting progress. In the same way that I think where we see some of the most interesting progress are folks who dual major in, you know, getting a master's in environmental studies and a, and a JD or an MBA. Yes. 
right? Those folks go off and lead some of the most interesting work, I believe. Um, and, and I think the same will be true as, as the more engineering disciplines enter uh, the conservation world and, and vice versa. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that future. I can't wait to see what people are, are able to do. Uh, so Lucas, uh, as we uh, wrap up here, I just wanted to see like, you know, you guys are doing a lot as a corporation. What do you, you know, what do you wish for you know, the world and like for your children will happen with commitments to saving biodiversity? You know, one of the things that is hard to measure is the negative and so proving extinctions and thinking about maintenance of biodiversity on the planet is one of the things that I think about a lot, but I'm just curious what, you know, from your perspective, not necessarily from Microsoft's perspective, but Lucas Joppa, what is your, what is your goal for the, for the future? Well, I set my goal um, pretty modestly, I guess, for me as an individual. And, and people ask me what I want to achieve. And I, I say, this and it, and it is simple. I just want there to be more species on earth when I die than there would have been had I never lived. Right. And that would right. be a weird thing to say if species weren't going extinct, because I'd have to be some mad scientist in a lab, you know, uh, accelerating evolution, basically. Right. Right. And so, and so but what, what I mean is I want fewer species to have gone extinct because I lived than if I hadn't. And I want everybody. I want every organization to think that way. And if we did think that way, the problem wouldn't seem so big, right? Yeah. It seems yeah. incredibly huge if you put the world's problems on your shoulders. But if you kind of break it down and say, man, I'd love to solve the world's problems, but I'm just one person. If I could just, if there could just be one more species on earth when I die, then if there, you know, then if I hadn't lived that, I would take that, you know? And if everybody in every organization kind of took that perspective, I think we'd be in a much better place. And I think our problems would seem so much smaller than they actually are. Well, you can imagine coming from NatureServe, where we talk about preventing extinction, that your personal goal matches up with our organizational goal and my personal goal as well. Uh, the idea that we can reduce the rate of extinction in the Anthropocene is, uh, daunting, but also very exciting for exactly the reasons you were just talking about. So thank you for that. And thank you for your commitment to uh, trying to prevent extinction or reduce the ex rate, extinction rate. And uh, we look forward to continuing to work with Microsoft and the AI for Earth program uh, at NatureServe. And thank you again for all that you do. Well, thanks for, like I said, thanks for having me on the conversation. Thanks for all the partnership uh, over the past years and, and moving forward. I think there's a lot of opportunity for technology to accelerate the type of work that, that you all do in order to expand the scale of, of your program's impact. So I'm all Great. in. Thanks. Uh, this is, is Sean O'Brien on Conservation Conversations. been talking with Lucas Joppa, the Chief Environmental Officer from Microsoft for the past few minutes. And we look forward to seeing you here again soon. Thanks. Thank you.